Welcome everyone to today's devotion. Uh, we are in John chapter 14, and what we have is uh, really the the eve of uh, Jesus's uh, crucifixion. Uh, the last week of Jesus goes by really fast in John's gospel, but it slows down in the final few uh, hours and, and uh, days. Uh, I suspect we'll be familiar with the first six verses of John chapter 14. Yet a, a, a clear theology is developed that's very important for us today as the chapter goes on. So what we have here is part of the upper room discourse. Uh, this is largely absent in the synoptic gospels. So we go from Jesus uh, washing their feet to now giving some instruction. And they will then, at the end of this chapter, go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which we, we know the story of Gethsemane where Jesus uh, sweats droplets of blood. Uh, but John, uh, as he has done throughout his book, goes a different direction and can continues some of his teaching. So if you were to take chapter 14 to, to about chapter 17, you have really the longest teaching section. There isn't a lot of drama. There isn't a lot of action. It's, it's mostly Jesus' teaching in these chapters. So he starts there in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So uh, you may recall how chapter 13 ended, Jesus making predictions, particularly with Peter, that he's going to betray him. Uh, but also, when you connect it with the other uh, 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 Gospels, it is the that Jesus predicts that all of them will abandon him, that he's about to be handed over to uh, the religious elites and to the Romans, and he is going to be crucified. Jesus, in the synoptics, makes several predictions of this. And in John's gospel, remember Thomas, who we know is doubting Thomas. We talked about this recently in our study of the Apostle Thomas. Uh, he uh, says, well, if Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem to die, then let's go die with him. Well, Jesus is now saying, look, you're, you're, you're going to um, turn away from me. In, in the moment of great need, uh, you're, you're going to abandon me. And so Jesus here is comforting his disciples, even though it is him who is the one who's going to be doing the suffering. Striking, isn't it? The one who, who is um, uh, truly close to God, the one who is um, um, uh, in holiness and righteousness, I believe, are those who will, in the moments of crisis, even if it is their sorrow, their suffering, will see to it that others are, are encouraged and blessed. So he says simply, if you believe in God, you will believe in me. That's a theme in this chapter. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, that is the unity of the Father and the Son. So, so if you want to develop um, not just a deep Christology, but also a clear Trinitarian theology, it's a good chapter for that. We see both unity. Uh, I and the Father are one. Also, distinction, uh, where, where he'll say, the Father sent me, the Father's greater than I, stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, if you believe in God, you believe in Christ. That was Jesus' point with the religious elites. Say, back in chapter 5 and other passages, remember how often Jesus would reference Moses? Um, you say you believe in Moses, but, but you don't believe in me. So, so, that means you don't believe in Moses. If you believe in God, you believe in Christ. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Um, now, there's a lot of um, um, discussion into what exactly does he mean here. Uh, um, I don't think what he means is you'll have 
a high rise over the beach in heaven, right? And you hear people saying, well, I don't need no big mansions. All I want is a, is a shack, uh, you know, and, and a pond in the backyard, something like that. I mean, it's, it's largely just garbage um, uh, and pointless. Uh, but, but really what you have here is remember that the heaven is to be a, um, a, a true and better Garden of Eden. Uh, where there are no gates because there is no sin, there is no war, there is no fear, there isn't anything. And so what you have is uh, community. Um, and and uh, so, so think less about high rises and condominiums and mansions and all that sort of stuff. And think rather that we'll get to spend an eternity at the feet of Jesus in worship and in community and in fellowship um, with, with true joy and peace and contentment and love. And so Jesus goes to prepare a place for you, um, and he will come again and bring, him, bring us to, to himself. And so what we get in Revelation, written by the same author, I believe, as the Gospel of John, is uh, we see uh, a new Jerusalem coming down. It isn't built here on the earth. It comes down. So with the new heavens and a new earth, you also get a new Jerusalem, right, where, where there is no temple for God dwells among his people. He is the, the temple. So Thomas asks, you know, how do we know where you're going? And Jesus says famously, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are three big themes in John's Gospel. If we were to go back, we could see languages of Jesus being the way, that, that, that we need to follow after Jesus. We see this with the calling of the twelve in, in the first chapter. We see it with the woman at the well, chapter 4. We see it with Nicodemus, each step of the way. We've seen uh, in, in chapter 3, and I think he's also in chapter 5, and, and so on. How about all the people who reject him in chapter 6, and 7, and 8, and 9? Uh, Jesus is the way to the Father. Uh, he is the life. Well, that's been a major theme that we've looked at. Remember, Logos, life, light, lamb. So not only is Jesus the way, he is the life. And so apart from him, there is no life. He is also a tr the truth. Now, if you recall our study of 1 John, this was a, a significant theme. Remember, it's truth and love um, uh, were, were two main themes of that book. So we haven't looked at it as much here. But how often has Jesus used this language? Uh, where, where he'll say, I am speaking the truth to you, yet you don't believe me. He'll lay out his witnesses, John the Baptist, the signs, uh, his teachings, all that sort of stuff. And he'll say to, to Nicodemus, how can you believe one who's come from above um, about heavenly things if, if you don't believe earthly things, right? Um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only hope we have is Jesus. Now that makes sense in light of what he said in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. No one enters without going through me. Well, his teaching continues there. For sake of time, I want us to, to move forward. Down to verse 15, we are introduced to an important theological um, issue, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember what I said about the Trinity in chapter 14. You can develop a, a Christology from chapter 14 in the Christological controversies of uh, the early centuries. Uh, this was, uh, these chapters were particularly important, uh, particularly just the whole Gospel of John. Um, but here we get a good theology of the Holy Spirit. Note the language. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is Johannine theology, isn't it? Love one another. Now, notice he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, love brings with it uh, obedience, holiness, respect, 
honor, all of that sort of stuff, right? So, so if, you, if, if, if you're a kid who, who loves your parents, you will respect them enough to, to obey, right? I mean, you have to like everything they do, whatnot, but as a general rule, you're going to, right? If, if you love someone and they ask for a favor, you're going to do it, right? It's, it's, it's why we think that I can love Jesus and just disregard all that he calls me to be and to do is, is uh, buffoonery, uh, if that's not a word it is now. Um, but what I want to emphasize is when he says, I will ask the Father, uh, which is developed in the opening of 14 verses, he will give you another helper. Now, your translation may something, say something different. Maybe it says the word advocate uh, or comforter uh, or something like that. Uh, the reason is because there isn't a perfect English word for the Greek word. The Greek word here is parakletos. Uh, paraclete, you may hear it called. Actually, I think we should just transliterate this as paraclete, but no one asked my opinion on translations. Um, but uh, the reason is because the word para means alongside of, so parallel, paramedic, stu- uh, um, uh, uh, stuff like that. And then kletos comes from kaleo, meaning called. So, so it is one who was called alongside of, like an advocate, like a helper, like a comforter, like a counselor. Uh, no, there's, there's all these words are good. They, they're just not perfect words, right? And, and um, by the way, let me add a footnote here. If, if we just take the, the, he, the, the English word helper here, um, I know we're not looking at Genesis. We, we, we spent some time earlier this year on Wednesday nights looking at Genesis. Um, those who are critical of the Bible saying that woman was created to be a helpmate fail to see that um, to be a helper implies someone needs help. So Adam needs help, meaning help, yes. But also fail to see that God himself refers to himself in this light. You can see the Psalms do this. John's Gospel does this all the time, as we'll see in this chapter. The Spirit of God is referred to as the helper, or parakletos. Anyways, um, what you also need to know is that in John's Gospel, or John's first epistle, 1 John, he uses the same word, not just to describe this, the Holy Spirit, which he does here, but to describe Jesus. That though we sin, we have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We talked about it when we looked at 1 John. Um, and this is clearly the Holy Spirit here. It's, it's made clear in verse 17, the Spirit of truth. There's that reference to the truth again. whom the world cannot receive and either sees him or knows him. Notice now that seeing is related to, to knowing. Uh, seeing is believing. Um, as we saw before, believing is seeing. That's the story of uh, the, the blind man. And remember that blindness is related to, to, to darkness and death and all that sort of stuff. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. A couple things to note here. One is that we believe right now there is a man sitting at the right hand throne of the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. Still incarnate. It's not that Jesus gave up his bodily incarnation and went to hang out with God again. No, there is a man sitting at the right hand throne of the Father, a fully resurrected body. Uh, which is made evident in all four Gospels, sitting at the right-hand throne of Father, and all authority in heaven and earth given to him, according to Matthew. We also need to know that, that not only has Jesus not left us because um, he, he, he's still alive, but also because he's given us his Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence on earth. And this is consistent with biblical theology. In the Garden of Eden, God himself came down. And then after that, it was, uh, say, let's just, to do, do cliff notes. The tabernacle was God coming down to dwell with his people. The temple, God coming down to dwell with his people. 
And then what does we get with Jesus? John 1.14, that, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So God has come down to be with his people in Jesus. And now at Pentecost, when Jesus ascends, the Spirit descends, and he dwells with his people. God still dwells with his people. He will never leave us alone. Do you think there's implications to that considering the high rates of anxiety, bitterness, loneliness, fear, doubt, hurt, pain, sorrow? you think there's some application there? I think so. And I think it's easy to, to make. Verse 25, These things I've spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, very explicit there, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. Again, there's just so much here, but let's just briefly emphasize that um, the Holy Spirit's primary function is to point us to Jesus. So here he says, the Spirit will bring remembrance to you of these things. Now, there's, there's two ways we read this, and I think they're both right. One is, in the midst of their sorrow, the Spirit becomes a comforter, pointing them to the hope that we they have in Christ. He does the same thing today. That's why when it comes to grief counseling, what we need to do is not give... Um, therapeutic remedies or even drugs most of the time but rather point people to Christ point people to Jesus the other thing to note here is a lot of people see this as Jesus saying look the time will come when you will record these things the spirit will help you in that in that regard so it is Jesus de- developing an early uh, development of uh, the inspiration of the New Testament and so uh, even though the Gospels are written for the synoptics probably about 30 years after the events, which is not really a long time, um, the Spirit comes and helps them in that regard. And you need to know that it's not like they, they probably sat down and decided to write the Gospels. Rather, this is developed uh, through their own teaching and preaching. Mark, in particular, is based off of Peter's sermons. Uh, and John is clearly an eyewitness account. But one last thing, the emphasis of peace. If we were to look at a, a sixth theme or however many things we've been looking at in John, peace peace would be a good one. He'll say this uh, after his resurrection to his disciples, peace. Because in Christ we have peace. We have shalom, the Hebrew word. And shalom is more than the absence of conflict. It is far greater than that. And Jesus says, peace I give you. That those who believe in the Logos, who is life, light, and lamb, you get the benefit of peace. That is good news. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.